FBI Studios. This is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Ahoy, friends, and thank you for tuning in to Truth and Justice. You are listening to the final Friday follow-up of 2022. The Friday follow-up for Season 12, Episode 38. This week, we got to be a fly on the wall during Bob's interview with lab director and DNA analyst at Pure Gold Forensics, Susanna Ryan. Bob and Susanna touched on several topics, including the touch DNA on the business card and Becky's sock. And at the end of the conversation, we heard Susanna's thoughts on which direction the defense should move forward. Now, I'm not a smart man, and if you're like me and all the allele talk was confusing, well, it's a good thing because I'm joined today by Bob and Janet because they understand it and they're here to answer your listener questions right after this break. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You are up at four, baking pastries at five, and open at six. Hundredth cappuccino by eight, two hundredth customer by nine, and there's still 12 hours to go. That's why you need a business broadband that works as hard as you do. Introducing Sky Business. With 4G internet backup and our stay connected guarantee, that's better business. To find out more, visit skybusiness.com. Sky Fiber only, 30 second 4G activation or one off credit. New customers, Pro Plus packs only. T's and C's apply. Alrighty, we're uh, Zach and I are back together again. Now Janet is one is the loneliest number this That's week, right. sitting all by herself in her studio in California. It's nice to be here again. It's nice to see people. Yeah, yeah. Right next to each other, we can touch one another yeah. if we want to. Yeah. Uh, awkward. Before we before we we get into, we've got a ton of listener questions. This is this one really is the last episode of the year. This one, uh, I was thinking when I recorded the main that that was going to be it, uh-huh. and I was too lazy to re- to like redo an intro. I'm like, this is the last. Maybe not. It could be. I think maybe there's another one. I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, but this is the last episode. I did say that in the intro, even. See, I'm oh, ahead you? of you. There you go. Uh, so first thing I wanted to, after we record the follow-up last week, Janet and I, along with several special guests, had a live event in Los Angeles last Wednesday night. And Zach, we'd like your thoughts on it. How was that? How was it, Bob? <laughs> you know, I, I wish that, uh, I wish I could have been there, but uh, I'd oh, like to hear no. how it went for you guys. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you Zach. Sorry, we're a little punchy, punchy today. It's got the it, we're like it's this Christmas close spirit. to Christmas break. Yeah, it's like so schools, like, the school bell's about to ring, mm-hmm. and everybody's yep, gonna yep. go. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, I thought it was I thought it was great. Um, and speaking of which, uh, for those of you that are on Patreon, everybody at the Bronze Lows at the five dollar level and up, uh, today Wednesday at three p.m. Eastern time, uh, that will publish as a podcast episode for all you patrons. You can go. So if you're not a patron, you can go become a patron and go check it out. If you're already on Patreon, just look in your podcast feeds and it'll pop up where all the ad-free episodes come up at 3 o'clock. I will say that the audio is not great. Um, we ran into a hiccup. Uh, we were planning on plugging a recorder into their soundboard mm-hmm. so we could get like our microphone voices through it. 
and then we got there and that was not possible. So it was just like a Zoom recorder set on the table in the middle of all of us. Right. So it's tough to hear. It's not great, but who was at the event? Uh, well, there was, I'm glad you asked, Zach. <laughs> it was uh, myself and and the amazing and powerful Janet Varney <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, Dr. Shiloh and Dr. Scott. The four of us were on it. Well, actually, I got kicked off my own stage. They mm-hmm. were all sitting behind the table on mm-hmm. the stage and the, the equipment was an issue. <laughs> One of the mic cords was like three <laughs> feet long. So I had to stand next to the soundboard. Oh, while you the loved other it. You were like holding court. It was basically oh. like you were doing a nonstop like toast at a wedding. You're like, and furthermore, and everyone else yeah. was sitting and you were mm-hmm. like, yeah, you made it Could work. not feel more like a fish out of water when everybody you sees like this work. table with the panelist all sitting there. And then I'm just standing <laughs> awkwardly next to the table because I can't reach the table or get away from it. Like I'm just stuck in that yeah. little tiny tiny spot so it was like and that was a game day to say it was like well it's time to go i can't yeah. sit down <laughs> so you could do have sat down oh. you just would have also had to we be, didn't have a chair you didn't remember. have a chair i that's the real thing because you could have been just sitting on the end of the table but we did we also ran out of chairs because it was so full everyone came and every chair yeah. was accounted for and we didn't have an extra chair which was which actually is a great thing and you got yeah. a little more exercise <laughs> just standing Poor planning on our part because we should have grabbed the four chairs we needed <laughs> before everybody ah, got there. There's your big mistake, sir. We needed five chairs. Five chairs. <laughs> Wait, not five. Yeah. Who was the fifth? Oh, Jim. The oh, special w- guest that we the are special not guest, talking you about. You didn't tell yet. me Jim was there. We're not, I haven't gotten that far yet. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. So we just kind of like talked through kind of our experience, which you guys heard a lot of that stuff on the follow up, but then we had. Three mystery guests that are no longer mysteries that showed up. The first one was, of course, Jim Clementi uh, came by. I had a quick drink with him and kind of updated him on some things with the case uh, before he came over there. And um, and so when we got into the case a little bit, Jim came up and and shared his thoughts on the case with the new information. And, he, and the, the best quote, I just put it up on the follow-up because I was listening as I was getting ready to post it for the patrons. Um, very interesting thing that he said as he was giving us his new analysis was his exact quote was if Becky had been the first to be killed, her body would have been found inside the house. And he's got a whole breakdown of that. That's all on the episode and everything, but it was just, um, I really felt like we almost kind of had a breakthrough in the moment. Cause the way we didn't plan it, it was just like, I no, told you everybody. Were nervous. The, yeah. Yeah. You were like, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know him. if he's, he might not say, what I would hope that he would – he may not come to the conclusion I would hope he would come to with, with this information. Yeah, because I just kind of threw it out to him in real time. And I told the audience, I'm like, this is this is what it's like. You know, I have I have a thought or a question. I call Jim and we just have a conversation about it. That's this because he doesn't know what I'm about to tell him and, t- and ask him. And so we kind of went through it. And, yeah, super interesting uh, with Jim. So Jim was on stage for a little bit. Uh, and I said to us and, you know, Dr. Shiloh, Dr. Scott weighed in here and there. And then uh, Liz Rose made an appearance. And and came up and kind of thanked the audience and gave us a little update on Sandy, her mom, who um, in the updates were one that I had already talked a little bit on the show that the Innocence Project of Texas has now joined the fight for her mother. And That's is, great. Yep. And is working to to fight for her. And also that there has been DNA testing done. And some of the DNA testing done was of the blood that was on the safe that was assumed by police to have been Jim's blood. 
as it turns out, it's not Jim's and it's no family members. Interesting. So they have the killer's DNA. That's great. Very, we don't very, know where very things are going to go from that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and that's some stuff that Zellner had worked on before. She kind of passed the torch over to the uh, IPTX. So that was cool. Uh, and then uh, and then our last special guest was uh, the one and only John Cryer. John awesome. Cryer stopped by. Ducky came by. Ducky. Yep. Um, which is really cool. John's that's John is a, you know for especially being a comedic actor, he is um, he's a really inspiring guy. And you know he he I, I told him I was in town. I'd like to see him and ask if he wanted to come to the event. He was actually decorating the Christmas tree with his family and and Lisa, his wife, said he said you can leave and go for twenty minutes and then come back. So, like, <laughs> so he lovely. he popped in. Yep, said a few words and then and then headed back to uh headed back to his family for the evening. So it was a fun night. Long we were we were still Janet was running me off the stage right at nine o'clock when they were when the uh I made band, a promise. I made a sacred vow because I as a producer of a comedy festival and other events, I know what it feels like when the person who's supposed to be getting ready to come up on stage is like, oh, they're still up there. Like, yeah, I'm and supposed time to be to getting my stuff up there. Yeah, they needed to make way for the band that came on after us. That was because they, they had a lot of displays. They had candles and and pictures of. It looked actually really cool. I was super curious. I had I not been oh, exhausted. Oh, I was like, what's happening? I would have, yeah, I was like, oh, I live okay. in the Midwest. I was yeah. like, what the fuck is all this that yeah. they're putting on this? Just thing? another it Wednesday was... night in Silver Lake. It was yeah, super all cool. Right. Yeah, it was it was uh, interesting. They were setting up, but anyway, it was, a, it was a great time, great event. And as I mentioned last week, it was awesome to get to hang out with Janet in person and get to see everybody again in L.A. in person. Everybody except hmm. Zach, who I missed terribly. That was hard. I, missed, I wish you were there. I wish I missed, you had been there. I missed though. you guys. We almost we couldn't have fun because you. you weren't there. I missed you guys. But it's okay. Yeah. I'll be there next time. Next time. Uh, or the next time. One of those times. Or one of those. <laughs> other. Yeah. I'll be there eventually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. And with that, I don't think we had any other. Uh, Are we going to Obsessed Fest? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we, I, we don't have like the details yet, but um, I, I did. I'll I did, be there. I did talk to Patrick on Monday and he let me know that they're going to be reaching out about Obsessed Fest. I'm hoping that all three of us. We'll be going to Obsess Fest next year. Yeah, I mean, I definitely hope so. I won't. I won't be there if I'm not invited. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to crash are, it. I guess I'll put the it tickets that are like 150 bucks. Just get yourself a ticket. Great, Come great, on great, down. Great, great, great. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, uh, let's get into this episode. I know we have a ton of a ton of questions uh, about the case. First of all, um, your thought. Oh, I should clarify one time because I had. I, I won't call this person out, but they're very involved and they pay a lot of attention and make lots of great points and ask great questions. Um, asked me after Susanna's interview if they tested the DNA against all of the teenagers, which made led me to believe that either she hadn't listened on Friday or that I didn't make clear on Friday. So I wanted to re- point out again um, that after I recorded that interview – we came up with we found more documents that showed that the DNA on the socks in her pant cuffs on Becky's was compared to Javier, Jacob, Ron, I think Austin, Bo Nash. It was compared to um, all those people, but we, but we didn't know that when we recorded the interview. So just kind okay. of refreshing everybody's memory about that. Um, what do you think, Zach? It was really interesting. I mean, I'm not like I said in the intro. I'm not the smartest man, so some of it was a little. Over my head, but it was very interesting to hear Susanna kind of break it down and how certain alleles line up and all this stuff. I mean, it was it was an interesting. Listen, yeah, there was a lot of stuff that was 
that was confusing, but it, you know, for me, I, I I listened to her explain the science behind it, and then ask her to explain what that means to me, you know, and and so I I took a lot away from it. Jan, what did you think of the of the interview? I thought it was really interesting. I I respected the, you know, it's always nice when an expert is not just going to say a thing and hope that no one checks them on it or i mean i i just appreciated that yeah. she was like i would like i would say this i definitely wouldn't say this please don't press me on this i wouldn't necessarily say that i don't yeah. want to say i understand why someone made the decisions that they made like it was very mm-hmm. she to me she seemed extremely measured and you know it, it was just sort of a re- reminder to me of like this to me it felt like she was a straight shooter like she wasn't going to give you an answer that you wanted if it wasn't true um right. I wish I could say I felt that way about every time, anytime, you know, a, a lab director or a technician is interviewed in, in the scale of all of the cases that we've all as true crime fans become familiar with. So I, for me, that was reassuring, like, you know, that she was like, well, I think it's enough of a profile to, to send to CODIS. I would say yes, but she wasn't like anybody who wouldn't do this is crazy. So I appreciate it. It seemed very I appreciated. I appreciated her transparency, too, about saying that the other lab had technology they didn't have. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Go run through this. You know, I mean, I appreciate that because, you know, so many times so often you have the person just like, oh, no, we can do it all. But right. she was very transparent and saying, no, they, they have a program that you should send it to. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and also she was able to like do it. What I was hoping, which is help me understand things better. Because, right. you know, for example, you know, when I read those DNA results as a layman in the episode the week before, I was like, this is bullshit. You can't. Do DNA and it's one in three hundred twenty thousand, and the next time it's one in twenty million. Mm-hmm. So it's great to have her come on and say, "No, that's that's not something you should be worried about. That's not right." You know, there, there's a there's a there's an actual logical explanation for that. Um, and and I appreciated that a lot. She was yeah, she's she's great. She is definitely a scientist and is going to give you and she's and she's really kind of vested now. After that, she's emailed me since. Um, and I haven't heard from her yet, but she was going to try to get me. Um. A, a kind of an update now that she has more more documents. One of the things that's in the doc, you know, she was talking about. It looks like it could go to CODIS, but she's not sure. What we see now is what it's, and this is gonna. This is the one of the most frustrating things about this to me. On the documents where they took the DNA from her pant cuffs and her socks, at the bottom it says CODIS <laughs> ready. Right. Hmm. It's hard to so, misunderstand that. Pretty yeah. Statement. So so that and that wasn't I don't think that was on the document she had, but it's on the Got ones it. now where they, they showed like, yeah, this is and that's the lab saying this is full profile and it can be run through CODIS. And then the DA deciding or the, the sheriff's or it would be the DA at that point because after the arrest and the, the sheriff, the DA deciding not to do it. They already well, knew who it didn't belong to and right. they decided not to find out who it did belong to. I mean, what would be the reasoning? Would, it, would there be like a financial reasoning behind that or no. just they don't want bad evidence? In my opinion, they don't want bad evidence. I mean, what? How can I mean? There's plenty of people that are out there right now trying to explain this shit away, but it's nonsense. I mean, you have, yeah, you, you what? It, what it looks very much to me. Look at when they tested it. There's and and I found now. I, I, I've been digging through this stuff all week. There is a lot of evidence that has yet to be tested. They took scrapings and swabs off Becky's shoes and found hairs in her shoes. And oh her, wow. Like, yeah, there's a ton of all this trace evidence. Yeah, that they had this, and, and they had taken those swabs off the socks and mm-hmm. the pant cuff back in 2006. They had this the whole time, and they never tested it. They tested it after they had made the arrest. I, like I told you, they made the arrest. They were going. They were going all in with that business card. The original judge 
was not used. You know, he said like that could be transfer you like this. What and, and then there were there were some shenanigans going on. They were trying to call the DA in. The, the, the again, the judge issued a bench warrant for the district attorney to come in and answer for what they were doing, and then they ended up dropping the charges. And so then they finally decide. So you got to look at like what was the reasoning for testing it to begin with. They finally test that evidence because they're trying to build a case against Robert and Christian, and then they they test it and it's not them. So then they go and they compare it to everybody, you know, so that, you know, perhaps so they can figure out if it's transferred. Like, okay, mm-hmm. well, maybe it's, maybe it's Javier's or Bo's. She was, they were at her house the, you know, a couple of days before, maybe it's John's or whoever's and, and you know, uh, could be a person of interest or suspect or dad. They tested against all these people and it wasn't any of them. So then in my opinion, the only other plausible explanation is that's the killer's DNA, but they were, they had committed to go after Robert and Christian and, and finding someone else's DNA there that wasn't supposed to be there. And that's why, that's why I'm so fired up and why I'm so frustrated and why I'm, you know, I'm actively actually engaging on on social media with some of the people that I normally will just ignore because this is ridiculous. It's ridiculous to make an argument. There's, there is no argument when all they had to do was submit that to CODIS and just find out, find out if maybe there's, there's a violent offender that lived in that neighborhood right? that it's a match to or that lived somewhere else or whatever, you know, and they just, they didn't want to do it because it's bad evidence. They already knew anything they would have gotten by running that through CODIS could not have helped their case against Robert and Christian. Okay. Right. You know what I mean? If they ran through and it's nothing, it does nothing, but it doesn't help. If they run it through and it's somebody else's, now you just gave the defense a whole argument. Right. Uh, they could say, how can you say it's them when there's this person's DNA on it? And in my opinion, it's despicable because they're not, they weren't looking for the truth. They were looking for a conviction. And that's why they didn't, I think that's why they didn't run it. Yeah. Let's go ahead and get into, I know your first question is about the socks. I've got, I, I, I'm, I'm holding back from continuing my rant about the socks okay. until you ask this question. So, so, <laughs> so Lana or Lana, uh, and I'm sorry, I don't know the pronunciation, but uh, says, how did they know there was DNA on Becky's socks unless they tested them? And if they tested them, where are the results? It also sounds like part of the initial DNA testing were left out of the report and then just sort of ending it with like, not sure if I understood all of that correctly. You've touched on some of that already, but. Yeah. So uh, the, the socks were swabbed. I, I'm not sure I fully understand the question, but um, and I'm not even sure. Uh, I'd have to go back to the report and look when the socks were swabbed, if they were just if they swabbed them in 2014 or 2015 when they ran them. To Sorensen, or if they already had the swab that whole time and never tested, I suspect they hadn't swabbed it until then. I see. That's a. That, I will say that's a thing I continue to not really be able to wrap my head around. I understand that it's an expense and time-consuming thing. So it's on one level, I understand the pragmatism of not swabbing everything. But on the other hand, in my mind, I'm like, if you're collecting any evidence at all, why wouldn't you immediately run at least? As much of that as you as your department could afford, and maybe the answer is we could afford nothing. I don't know, but like, I don't. I just that that's tough for me. Is like we swabbed all of it's, this stuff. How do you? Why do you not? Why do you just put it in a bag and go like this might come in handy ten years from now? I don't. I don't understand that. Or one year from now, or whatever. You, you touched on it. The whole point of like, why would they not test the sock, but they test the pen and they test the business card that's out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, why why would they not test this? Well, and that's that's what I was going to say. So it's really hard to make the cost argument when they they did how many tests on the same business right. card. You know what they had. You know, and it was because they weren't getting 
the results that they were looking for. And, and, and again, as it appears, the end result was they were right. You know, they had a suspicion that it was, I guess, Christian or one of their their DNA on the card. Mm-hmm. And so they just continued to test it and continued until they, you know, with new technology until they found the result they were looking for. I don't fault them for that. But the fact that they were spending that much energy on it and ignoring the evidence that was on the victim's body, I, I'll never be able to make that make sense in my mind. And right. that's so – and this is where I was talking. I want to, I want to address because I don't think I may ask them the – Follow, but there's a lot of discussions where people have made posts and asked questions throughout the the fan page about the the relevance of the sock DNA. And I just I got to say, like this this is like to the point of, of like as pathetic as as I have seen people get, where people are are so caught up in their foregone conclusion that Robert and Christian must be guilty that. There, there's these crazy arguments that are being brought up to try to explain away the socks, and it's the most inconsistent thing ever. So I just want to break this. I don't want to get negative about. it. I'm just going to break down this this scenario for like an, in a, in a neutral way. If you look at this, to say the business card, like say as I said at the end of the episode, let's just assume Leclerc found it where he said he found it when he said he found it. Okay, let's just figure that's a thing, and and we'll assume that that Christian's DNA is on it. So. Over 300 yards out into the desert, there's this card that's found, and you're com- for a person to be fully convinced that that card has to be connected to the murders, that the DNA and the fingerprints on there has to be the murder, despite all the issues with the lack of tracks. You know, for someone to walk 300 yards and back, somebody had told me. Uh, I think Teresa Dunn had said like she like did the math when she thought it was 180 and calculated the amount of steps someone would have to take to walk out there and back. And it's like over 500 steps it would take uh, with a normal average person's gait. Mm-hmm. We have five footprints. Five. Um, yeah. So, so you know, but, but with all that and it being way out there, 20 yards north of any human activity, this whole this whole thing. I think it's OK for you to say, well, I still think that has to be connected to the crime but but it's not okay and it's not consistent to then say hey we've got heavy dna profiles like a lot of good volume of dna codis ready dna on the victim's body right in the places where the killer would touch her body to put her in the wheelbarrow and then the amount of effort some people are are expending to try to explain that away it's like that. This is how these wrongful convictions happen. Is that attitude and it, and seeing it happen with people who aren't in the system is it? Because I look at these prosecutors, I'm like, how could you do that? I'm like, that's how because you're just people like this that are just stuck in them. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not categorizing the people as a certain type of people. I'm just saying when you get into a mindset where you're so sure of yourself that you just can't let go of your belief, that's what. So, so this is this is the argument that I've heard. Well. I've heard socks are like uh, – I don't remember the term they use, but basically socks collect DNA all over the place. Socks are the easiest thing to ever get DNA on. That could be transfer DNA from anyone. I, I asked somebody on the page twice, and they refused to answer the question, Who was having, and I was having a good discussion with this person. But I asked them, if you didn't know about the business card, would you think that the DNA on her socks are relevant to the crime? And they, they refused to answer the question, but I asked it for a very particular reason. Because what it shows is 
What you're seeing is when you have a suspect-driven investigation where you start with a conclusion and then you're going backwards and trying to find evidence to fit the conclusion. And you're exp- so you're explaining oh, the stuff that doesn't fit. You're trying to, in your mind, find a way to get rid of it. But if you don't know the business card exists and you haven't already come up with a conclusion, so you're not thinking Robert and Christian did it, how does this evidence relate to that? If you're just doing an evidence-based investigation and you look, oh, the victim has DNA on her socks, on her body, on her pants, no one would ever think that's not part of the crime. You would you would immediately believe that's the killer's DNA. The only reason that we take the steps to try to, to talk around that is because we already have a conclusion in our mind or somebody already has a conclusion in their mind. And here's the facts when it comes to – because, people again, people are making these posts and I just want to clear, clear this up. Like the argument is it could be transfer that could be from anyone. You pick up DNA on a sock all over the place. I've never seen any studies or science on that. But according to Javier, at 6.40 p.m., Becky had gotten out of the shower, done her makeup, got dressed, even says she put her jeans and her shoes on. So first of all, for those for, for these socks to have DNA transfer on them from someone else, you'd almost have to believe that she she got out of the shower and put on dirty socks, which isn't impossible, but you might assume, especially if she thinks she's going on this this hike with her, you know, this guy she likes with Robert, that she would probably put on clean socks that have been laundered. So then, so then they, the the counter the argument comes. Well, here's an article that shows the DNA can survive laundry. That's true. It can in small amounts, usually with stains. So if you have like blood or semen say on a bed sheet that's soaked in and stained and is bound to the, you know, that, that, that fluid is bound to the fibers and you run it through the wash, it is still possible to get some DNA off of that even after the laundering, presuming it wasn't bleached and running really mm-hmm. hot water. And she has black socks, so they're not bleached. Um, but touch DNA, this is from a swab of the socks. So we're looking at skin cells from the socks. Would not, I mean, can some skin cells survive the laundry and still be hanging out of the sock? Sure. I'm sure that's possible. Can this volume of skin cells survive laundry? I mean, I'm sure there, maybe there's a study. I, I, I don't even know if there would be because it's, it's, but, but in my, in my opinion, like, no, you're not going to get full DNA profiles of two people on a pair of socks that have been through the laundry. So then even if we say, well, the DNA could have made it through the laundry, well, whose fucking DNA is it? We know everybody she was with for that entire week leading up to it. We know whose houses she was at. So who are these male profiles? Right. You would expect to maybe see Javier's DNA on there. She hung mm-hmm. around him. She, she slept in the same room as Bo. Bo slept in her bedroom. Maybe she's walking on the floor. She lived with John. But there, it was none of them. All of those people were ruled out. So to like to go through the mental gymnastics to try to explain it away is is ludicrous. That that DNA, all I won't say has to be, but almost has to be from the killers. There's there's just no other explanation for it. And then also we'll add to the fact, and the people are like, oh well, sure they'd grab. I've 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 seen. 
they would grab her by the ankles or the knees, which, by the way, there's swabs taken from her pant cuffs right there in the crease of her knee, um, but not on her socks. She was wearing low ankle socks. So if they held her by the ankles, they wouldn't touch her sock, mm-hmm. which, you know, that that's 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 assuming a whole lot of things. But let's not forget her shoe was pulled off and the sock rolled down around her foot. She wasn't walking around like that. She didn't not have time to put it on. According to Javier, she already had her shoes on and the shoes missing. Right. So like the, it, it, it sure seems like the action of her shoe coming off and the sock getting rolled down happened during the attack, which would mean the killer's hands very likely were part of that process. And the DNA results we're getting and the volume of DNA from that kind of confirms that they that, that there was there was a struggle there and they left DNA behind. So those are the, all the reasons why why I believe that that DNA is incredibly important. This case is much simpler than I thought. I didn't think we'd be able to solve it this easily, but I really think that we can. Between that, the extra testing that Susanna has has suggested, and just taking the DNA we already have and running it through CODIS or through GEDmatch. I think is is very could very easily solve the case, mm-hmm. uh, which would be fantastic because we'll get the right person in prison and get the wrong people out of prison, and that's all we're all we're trying to do. Um, but but an, another point that I'll make along those same lines is some of these discussions were about the wheelbarrow handles, and I'm just I'm not amazed. A lot of I don't I think a lot of people just don't realize they've gotten themselves in. It's the it's the mindset people accuse me of being in all the time, but people don't realize when they're doing it themselves. Is someone made a post and said, well, there's no there, there's no uh, substantial DNA on the handles, which pro- and, and the, the, the conclusion they came to was, well, that proves that the killers must have been wearing gloves. And therefore, the DNA on the socks isn't important. So th- that's the train, which mm-hmm. how do you get there? The same way. You start with a conclusion. It was Robert and Christian who did it. Robert and Christian's DNA isn't on the socks. Mm -hmm. So that can't be the killer's DNA. Right. And I, in order for it to be Robert and Christian, with the the business card being way out there, they had to have used the wheelbarrow. So if we know that Robert and Christian used the wheelbarrow and there's DNA isn't on the wheelbarrow handles, that means they must have been wearing gloves, and therefore the DNA on the socks doesn't matter. Whereas if you listen to Susanna Ryan break it down, that's not what she sees at all. That wasn't the opinion. That's certainly not my opinion. My opinion shows everything I just explained as to why that is that is almost positively the killer's DNA on her socks and her pant cuffs and her ankles there. But because of that, that tells me the killer wasn't wearing gloves. And the lack of DNA on the handles shows that what we have, what I have hypothesized since episode two, which was that the wheelbarrow wasn't actually used in the crime other than to hold her body. That that if they weren't wearing gloves, there should have been DNA on the handles. There's not, which further drives the point home that the wheelbarrow wasn't used. Now, maybe that's me coming to the foregone conclusion, but I'm just trying to look at it and see. What does it all mean instead of trying to make it fit with another narrative? Susanna certainly wasn't trying to make it fit in any narrative. That was just the conclusion she got to was 
if you take the socks and compare it to the handles, what you see is that the wheelbarrow wasn't pushed by the killer, but the killer touched her ankles is the most likely solution. Mm. And and we'll find out what, you know, hopefully when we get some of this testing done and these things done, we'll find out. Yeah, I could be wrong. I'm certainly will, willing willing to be wrong. But even if that's the case, let's let's say as you're breaking this down, if that is the case, let's say it's Robert and Christian and they wore gloves during the commission of this crime. Uh-huh. There's still mystery DNA that we don't know who it belongs to. Right. Why would you not try to figure that out to see if it's somebody? Because as far we as know what the district attorney. We know the known players, and it right. doesn't match any of the known players. So there's some mystery person out there that's had contact with Becky. Why would you not at least look into that? Yeah, it, it's 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 crazy that they didn't. And uh, I don't remember if I said this on the follow up or if I just said it at the event last week. But um, the more and more I look at the case, and I'm working. I'm planning on, I don't know what we're going to get on first of the year because I'm working on an episode to do like the actual trial testimony about how all this was presented at trial with the forensic evidence. But I'm working on something and I'm, I'm, I'm reevaluating the arson investigation and doing what I never did the first time around, which is do my own arson investigation based on the photos. Okay. Um, and as I'm doing that, I'm leaning toward like, like if I had to bet a paycheck on at the end of the day when we prove who did it, who did this? I would I would bet that our killers live in that neighborhood and they've ne- they've never been on our radar. Wow! Mm-hmm. I think the cops were so honed in on those teenagers that they missed the forest for the trees. Yeah, that it was right there the whole time. The fact that there was there was no car, no one saw a car. There was right. no no one drove away. And we did some experiments while we were up there where we drove and checked the different places where someone could park a car and. T- it's too dark. It's too still. Even right. if you walked a mile away, got in your car, the minute you started it, it would be like a giant beacon. Yeah. Mm. I don't think anybody drove at all. That I think they really just struck me when house. we were up there. And I wasn't even, mm-hmm. I wasn't, I, of course, I was not up there at night, as I know you and Shiloh were, um, and, and Andrew was. But yeah, I wasn't up there at night, and I still just couldn't, it was really, really hard for me to wrap my head around. Um, do you want to talk about this? This uh, you you mentioned it earlier. This idea of where the business card was and and the supposed area disturbance and all that. I've got a couple questions about it. I see someone posted about it in the YouTube. Um, oh, yeah. You want to you want to jump on that? Yeah. So it's another thing that that's going on. Yeah, I'm going to read uh, Jim's question because I want to give a shout out to people who take the time and effort to post on the follow up page. May I? Yeah, go ahead. Hey, Jim, buddy. What's going on? Shout out to you for writing this post on the Facebook follow-up. There have been some pictures posted of the business card just feet from what appears to be an obvious, quote, area of disturbance, which is connected to the wheelbarrow track, which is connected to the wheelbarrow with Becky's body inside. What is your explanation for this? What are the odds this business card would have been blown around days ahead of time and ended up so close to the wheelbarrow track leading to Becky? I'm glad you asked because this was something and I and I general I genuinely don't think this was intentional misinformation but the people one of them's in the chat right now are still just hanging on to it for dear life. Well, I saw the picture uh, and I was like, "Uh-oh, what's this?" I was too. And I yeah. was, and so I was looking, I was like, "Oh, well maybe everything was wrong." Right. So th- so they they found a, a photo which I eventually found in in my file it was labeled very differently from theirs. Um but I found a photo where it shows in the photo in the 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 poster the person who posted this had, had had annotated it and showed the area of disturbance was marked and then the business card in its maybe eight feet away. I tried to measure it. It seemed with like, like it was less length, than that to me. I was like, like oh, the, they're yeah. like, ne- like next to each other. Two or three steps away. And yeah. I was like, oh, well, 
that's that's a whole different story. And then I, I was like, well, wait, how would Leclerc have thought something was twenty yards yes. away when it was two steps away? Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. This doesn't make much that's sense. So then I started digging into it and looking at it, looking at it, and then and then someone like brought up like Leclerc's trial testimony or his uh, I think it was his grand jury testimony where he's talking about that picture mm-hmm. and what they're calling in their note that it is the area of disturbance, which is like, which is the same, the point of origin where the wheelbarrow tracks stop. Right. That's not what he was. That's not what that flag is, is indicating. He says, this is a, and by the way, remember we said maybe that they were out transplanting trees. Mm-hmm. He said, that's just a, that's a hole that looks like someone had dug a hole and filled it back in. Mm-hmm. It was not connected to the wheelbarrow tracks. It was not connected to footprints. It was after he started kind of wandering around off to the north searching, he finds this hole, and then he finds the card. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a hand-drawn diagram where he drew this, and there's no question. First of all, I did all kinds of stuff looking at the photo. Remember when we were there, we took all those pictures of the different, of the mountain ranges in the back when we were trying to find the point of origin. Right. Um, And one thing I noticed in that picture was, oh, that's the Green Mountain Range. The Green Mountain Ranges were south of 74. Right. The one yes, correct. North, of the, yes. north of the crime scene looked like desert. I know exactly what you're talking a couple about. little yes. bushes, mm-hmm. yeah. And so then I went through the, the video, the crime scene video, where uh, I think it was LeClaire that took the video that was like walking the path. Mm-hmm. And he does that 360-degree pan. Yep. And so I'm watching, 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 and bam, and I was able to capture – there's the exact part of the mountain mm-hmm. ridge there, and you can see Sharon Coleman's house yep. off to the off to the right. Which can for and and what I was for the people that were confused on that post when we were discussing it is what it the reason I, I that was important to point out was because it shows that the camera was facing south when he took the picture, yeah, the the the, the, the picture that's in question, yes, and in the picture you see the hole in the yellow flag. Mm-hmm. On the right-hand side of the picture. And on the mm-hmm. left-hand side of the picture, you see the pink flag that's the business card that's a little bit further forward and to the left. And so now that we know this is south, mm-hmm. what we know is that in that picture, the business card is about two steps southeast of the hole, which means it's not the area of disturbance as it was labeled by the poster. So th- and I, I know that's kind of muddy. Does that make sense? I think so. Okay, so yeah. So the big question was they put up this picture and said, "Look, Bob's wrong, everybody's wrong. The card's right next to the area of disturbance. Right. It's 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 right next to it." And and what we determined was that wasn't the area of disturbance. That was in the area of disturbance. Mm-hmm. It was just a hole mm-hmm. that that was found by Leclerc outside of the tracks. Mm-hmm. And to the southeast of that is where the business card was, which was 20 yards north of where the actual termination right. point of so-called the area wheelbarrow disturbance was. From there, we started looking at um, Teresa Dunn, who, who helps helps us out a lot. Um, uh, it showed me, and I had seen a different version of this, but the handwritten were on his notepad where Leclerc drew the map. Mm-hmm. It couldn't be clearer. He shows placard A, placard B, placard C, mm-hmm. placard E, and then he writes the track splits, and then goes over in the picture over to the left, which would be the east, and shows. Track stop, the termination point. And that's where Becky's footprint was. That's where the footprint stopped. Back where it split, you go 20 yards up to the north where there's no footprints. Mm-hmm. And then he showed, and it's even marked there, hole, 
mm-hmm. business card. Okay. The, the two. That's what those two pictures were. It was a hole in a business card. It wasn't the point of origin as it was presented. So as far as how that kind of squares with, with, with what I – because we were like, well, how do you reconcile that? Let me tell you give, you, give you some um, examples how I would have reconciled that if that was the area of disturbance and that was the business card. I would have reconciled it by going, well, that's new information we didn't have before. Mm-hmm. That changes the way we should look at this. Mm-hmm. But nothing changed. The business card's still 20 yards north of any human activity other than there's a hole there. And I think he said it was maybe by an animal you couldn't tell, but he could tell it was a hole that was dug and refilled there. Mm-hmm. So – so if you see that post on the follow-up, if you read through the comments, I explain it. I posted the pictures that I'm talking about in the fan page where it shows that, you know, for for here's six different reasons this is not what they're saying that it is. Um, but it's interesting because the way LeClaire drew that map where it says track split, it sure it, – now, he never says the wheelbarrow tracks continue up there. Right. So I don't know if that's just the way he walked up or the the trail. There's no photos of it, and he never testified that the that you know he he said in his report it was 20 yards north of the point of origin. But if the wheelbarrow tracks go up there, and he did say there was no footprints around it, um, then that sure looks a lot more like a wheelbarrow getting moved around in several different areas, getting trees or doing some kind of work, than going out picking up a body, turning around and going back. Um, but not for nothing. There, that's the explanation, Jim, for how I reconcile that is they were, it was, it was a good effort. I believe it was an effort that was rooted in with, with good intentions mm-hmm. that they that they truly believe they found new information. They did. It's just not the information they thought they found, but right. that is not the point of origin right. or the, or the area of disturbance as has been discussed in the report. Okay. Well, just to um, continue with that same line of using this image that was on the, the truth and justice Facebook page. Teresa says recently posted files on the Truth and Justice site show the business card as photographed on the same roll as other things like the shoe prints. How could they be on that roll if they remembered or considered or photographed afterwards? I have no idea because there's so in my case file, which is the discovery file that was given to uh, to the defense by the prosecution. Mm hmm. The I don't have roll one, roll two, roll. What I have is a list under the files are under the um, the person who took the photos under their name. So Leclerc said Barrows was with him and took the photos. So mm-hmm. I went to the Barrows files and there's five or six files under Barrows mm-hmm. and went through all the different pictures that was were taken by Barrows and the business card wasn't in those. Mm-hmm. Um, I found the picture they found in my file. It was listed under. Car C A R R hyphen twin, but I don't know who that is or what that means. Mm-hmm. But it was not under a different rule. But it's certainly not. As a matter of fact, in that subfolder, it said return trip to scene. Uh-oh. Um, that seems yeah, pretty clear. So, <laughs> well, it could be, but also, like to be fair, I don't know who this person is. Were they there at night? Because some of their pictures are at night when the right. fire trucks are still there. Like, were they there at night and then left and then came back? Right. I don't I wouldn't I won't jump to the conclusion but yeah I mean it seems like or yeah or it got miscategorized yeah. but I but it is odd that in the discovery file it wouldn't be presented in in sequential order of when the photographs were taken because that only helps the that only helps the prosecution to make its case like I don't know why you right. would give discovery to the defense unless you're like 
you know, in master manipulator and you're like, we're going to make them think that this picture was taken out of yeah. order when really it was taken in order. Like, that's insane. That would never happen. So my yeah. opinion. And I, and I don't know. And I'm not even saying there's anything like nefarious with yeah. it because I've seen like they've shown me like an evidence tag that says roll five and then right. these file names are like roll. But there's not a single file name in the entire discovery file that says roll anything. Right, right, right. So, right. I, so I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know what that means. Okay. It doesn't match what I have. Got it. Understood. Uh, great. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. I'm going to read some more DNA questions. Uh, Ellen says, maybe I wasn't paying enough attention, but I am ever so puzzled. Love that. Ever so puzzled that through all of the DNA testing, Marie's DNA didn't show up on the card. And Marie being the person whose name is on the card, right? Right. Uh, didn't show up on the card. If she handled it and wrote the email on there, why is her DNA not there on the card? If there's enough DNA to swap years later, swab years later from someone else, shouldn't her DNA be a major contributor as well? You never know. Uh, because it wasn't like that card. Those were her personal business cards that she passed out where she was handling them a lot. Mm -hmm. Like. For all we know, it wasn't even her that wrote the email address on there. We right. do have her. I mean, we I have her interview, and it's one of the, it's it's on the docket to go through it. Okay. Um, it's short. There's not much to it, but she may explain that. But yeah, just just kind of like touching the corner of the card and writing an email address with a pen. But then they were just mm -hmm. handed to someone to take to um, churches and places to be you know, where there was like stacks of them, and then people mm -hmm. took them to carry with them and pass them out. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so okay. it's. It's it, it, I could and plus we don't know how long it was. I mean, there's a lot of things going on there. I don't know. But just to just to sort of imagine the perspective again, we have not gone through the trial, so I don't know what you know opening, middle, and closing arguments were or anything like that. Is the is the argument that it's peculiar again from the pr prosecution's case perspective? Is their argument like we know Christian's never been on the scene because he says he's never been there. Right. We know that the business card, putting aside like where it was found, like the business card was there. It was near the crime scene or it was near the area of disturbance or whatever. But is that part of the argument? Like, how could he never if he's never been up there, but his DNA is the most prevalent, like, you know, obtainable DNA on that business card. Yeah. How can you possibly say that this was old and that it, you know, there would there would be other people's on there. It, it's got to be significant that his DNA is on there and he's never been to the scene and his DNA is the most DNA that we're able to find. Yeah, well, it was it wasn't presented quite in that way, but it was it was definitely presented as he said he's never been to the scene. And here's a card with his DNA and fingerprints on it. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no you know, the prosecution certainly presented that as there's no other plausible explanation than he was here to kill Becky. Right. You know, and they didn't really make the art. You know, the, the defense tried to raise that, you know, the card looked weathered and things that it could have been there for a long time. But, yeah, and, and so that that was the challenge, right? It was the, the defense trying to say, well, that card could have been, you know, dropped there anytime because, you know, Becky was at Robert's house. That card, something that probably came from Robert's house, Robert's church. Mm -hmm. Christian was, you know, there, there's all these different ways why it could have been there. Right. Um, where the prosecution's like, no, he's. He's never been there except for he was supposed to be there that one night in the cards. It's a compelling argument if that's all there was. Right. 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 I'm just trying to picture it because, you know, mm -hmm. I can understand. I can understand. I, I'm always thinking, too, about the jury. Like, you know, you sort of want to because we want to believe that the jury is presented with fair evidence and then they get it right. But there are some cases where we hear what the jury decides and you're like, 
I don't know how that happened. Literally don't understand how that happened. Yeah. So I'm always trying to imagine if I were a jury member and a pros- the prosecution was making a really compelling case of like, and you see, his is the only DNA we can even get off the card. Therefore, he must mm-hmm. have been the last person to touch it. Therefore, he must have dropped it in the desert. Therefore, he must have been there. Therefore, he's lying. Therefore, he killed Becky. Like, you sort of see how, you know, yeah. if you're just looking at that, you're like... Ooh, I guess that's like, ooh, I don't want to be wrong about this. I want to get the right person. Like, this seems bad. Yeah. And you got a lot of time to really hone in and take all the different angles to make that argument when you only have one piece of evidence to work with for the entire trial. Fair enough. Um, Real quick, I'll address uh, Nicole in the the YouTube chat said, I don't think it has to be one or the other. I think they're both important. I agree, Nicole. Like, like I've never said forget the business card. Yeah. I'm saying, I'm saying, you know, the the business cards connection is certainly questionable and weird. You know, there's a, there's a lot of stuff around there that doesn't really add up. But yes, you still it, it's still important. Let's hang on to it. But you have to also have DNA on the victim's body that I think is monumentally important. That that we, as far as I'm concerned, we know was connected to the crime. Mm-hmm. So you know, I guess what I'm saying is what I hope that happens next is we find out if the business card is important. Mm-hmm. Like I said, mm-hmm. you know. Run it, run the, if we're, let's say we run those DNA profiles through CODIS and, and two hits come up from two convicted violent offenders that happen to live in that neighborhood. Well, then, then it would turn out the business card's probably not important. Right. Right. Because, because we figured out who did it and it wasn't, it wasn't Robert and Christian. Granted, there's still seven people that will still maintain that it must've been Robert and Christian with them, or she must've been over at their house. You know, they'll, they'll make an argument. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think they're yeah. I think they're both important. And also, Montana said the car doesn't actually look weathered. Look weathered. I agree, Mon- Montana. It's it doesn't. The sun bleached, but not weathered, or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's the whole thing about the ninhydrin, and, there, and there's there's a couple scientists that are working with me to try to figure out if we can do some experiments to figure out if my theory about that is correct. Mm-hmm. But as far as looking at the picture of the card sitting out there, it doesn't look soiled or weathered or anything. I don't think. Yeah. Okay. So I think one of the things that comes up for for people a lot, and I saw this a few times, and I'll shout it out when I get there. Again, I have three full pages of questions this time. That's my, that's on me. Uh, Yet also on our listeners in, so for having have amazing. I know, I know, I know, I <laughs> know. But for having amazing questions, so I blame. I'm gonna blame all of us. Let's all share the blame on this. Uh, yeah. So the question becomes like for a lot of people like. So what do Robert and Christian say about the business card? Like, what's Christian's explanation? Does he have one? Like, people want to know what the the person whose DNA is on the card, what they said about it. There is. So here's the tricky thing about about people doing exactly what they're supposed to do. When Robert and Christian did their first interviews where they just sat down and openly talked to the police, the business card wasn't a thing. Right. Then in 2007 – they they did this they you know they 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 find out they are suspects again because they serve search warrants on their house right and so their reaction to that was we need an attorney so they got an attorney sure of course and what does an attorney tell you to do don't say anything don't say a word so they have not said a word about anything connected to this case since then okay there are no statements after that you know there's there are interviews and stuff that will get you know like there's the the whole one where the the supposed jinx confession at the at the military base um, with Christian, and all he says is, "I want a lawyer." Right, like that. That's it. I need. I need a lawyer. So they've never weighed in on it, and then going into trial, their defense attorneys decided not to have them. I mean, keep them like at trial. They didn't put up much of a defense. The, the The defense attorneys believed the prosecution did such a terrible job of proving their case that they didn't need, really need to put up much of a defense, Oof. and they didn't. 
Um, That's so and they didn't put the defendants on the stand. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they didn't well, put the defendants I on the stand, I certainly stand, understand which is why they normal. wouldn't put Yeah, I was going to say, like, if you if your only purpose for putting Christian on the stand is that he's the only one who might have a perfectly plausible, or Robert, like, if they know the entire story of how that could have happened, but it also means that they're going to be, you know, excoriated for everything they ever said or did or was interpreted that they ever said or did, like, that's terrifying. So I totally yeah, I understand mean, that, but... It's it's obviously the most commonly defendants are never never put on the stand right. by a good, by a good defense attorneys right. because and the other thing is what do you have to gain right right so so if Christian got up there and gave you know I I don't, I don't know what it would be but but gave a perfectly plausible explanation as to why his DNA or fingerprints are on that business card mm-hmm. then the prosecution would just say he's lying right of course he's going to say that you know it doesn't it's not going to help him. Right. But the, unfortunately, the position it puts us in is that question obviously is weighing on everybody's mind. What do they say about the card? And the fact that and, they didn't say anything is very easily interpreted. We see it happen over and over and over again as, mm-hmm. well, they're hiding. There's something there's something to it. If I yeah. don't know the if I me the person who was not part of the trial and is just finding out about this decades later, not quite decades, but like if I'm finding out about this all this time. But if I don't have the answer, then there's something very suspicious going on. Like that's how our yeah. brains work. That's how my brain works. Right. I'll be honest. Like, you know what I mean? That's it's it's troubling because we are attracted to this because like puzzles, and when there's something that's left open ended, it nags at us. So that's yeah, why for sure. Are and and yeah, and it's just it's just unfortunate. Now I, I want to be clear. I don't know. Like, yeah, no, no, no the, the I know. answer to the question could be Christian saying, "I don't know." Right. I have yes. no idea. Of course. Or it could be, "Oh, this I have no idea because he has been." correctly from 2007 on advised from by an attorney not to not to speak so he hasn't given an explanation right so i don't know okay Uh, michelle just wanted quick clarification um if there was any way you could refresh the memory on when the police claimed the card was found and then um she says didn't bob say that the report said it was found in the morning after the fire if that's the case how was it already sun stained the sun thing is right well that was the whole point right yeah um yeah, so it says. I think he says he found it at like ten fifty in the morning, um, and that that was kind of the point we're making was, yeah. if if my theory is correct, and I don't know if it is as far as the ninhydrin and showing the sun staining. Then yeah, that's exactly the point. Is it certainly so if it happened during the murders means it landed out there in the dark, mm-hmm. and then it had been out there for three hours of daylight before it was found. It wouldn't be sun stained. Uh, but the fact that, you know, if we're able to prove that it is significantly sun, sun-stained, it would just prove that it had been out there for days before the murder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or that it was found days after the murders. Got it. Uh, Troy has a quick general question I thought was interesting. Uh, Troy says, are law enforcement, fire, rescue, EMs, et cetera, all in the DNA and fingerprint registry? If not, why? No. Fingerprints, more and more they are because a lot of – you have to do a lot of background checks. Like, so for me, uh, when I got my, my EMT license – in order to go into the ER and do my clinicals, I had to be fingerprinted for background checks. And I believe once you do that, then they just they those get all input into APHIS. CODIS, no, like you don't give DNA samples when you you know when you're in any of those emergency services. They're just not in the system unless you've been in there. So so the DNA gets put into CODIS. One anytime somebody since I think twenty what year I don't remember the year. But there was a particular year where it became law that if you get conv- – I think even arrested as a, for a felony, your DNA gets put into CODIS. 
And of course, anytime any violent offenders or suspects are their DNA is run, it should be submitted into CODIS. And then also unsolved cases. And that's the side of it. People don't realize is so like, say in this case, we test this D, you know, we, we take these DNA profiles and we input them into CODIS and we don't get a match. That DNA profile still lives in CODIS as an unsolved case. So if 10 years from now, Someone gets arrested and they draw their DNA and they enter it into CODIS. It'll pop up that, hey, here's a case from 2006. Your DNA matches that. Um, so right. that, so I, I'm very – here's the thing. I don't believe that this crime was someone's first or last violent crime. And I, and I think just to, to, to clarify, like – Someone has to escalate to a point where they're going to do something this horrific mm-hmm. and this cold and calculated and murder these people and burn the house down. There's going to be a history of violence. And Jim talked about that too. Right. I also don't think that someone who has done this has gone through the rest of their life and never offended again. Mm-hmm. I think you will see a pattern of mm-hmm. this. Like, like I, I am, I mean, finger, fingers crossed. I am, I am, I'm hoping and praying that we're able to run this DNA through CODIS. And that it's that like run it through, Bing. Here it is. Here's a per, here's the people, and sure. they and it were, and hopefully if that happened, it's somebody where everybody is like, obviously like that person it did it. Right. You know, look at their history, look at their their track record, look where they lived, you know, for whatever reason. I'm hoping it's just that simple. Wouldn't that be lovely? I hope so because I feel like we see some several examples where they're like, so obviously we need to find the connection between Robert and Christian and this guy because he was in on it with them. Like, yeah, that'll definitely happen. Everybody for, tries to again, tag on, yeah, tack on some sort that. of unknown relationship. Um, let's talk about the win. That feels important uh, okay. to me. Kylie says, "I just want to respectfully push back on the last frequent follow why frequent follow up." And this will be my last episode of Truth and Justice. <laughs> I retire. Um, Want to respect, push back respectfully on the discussion about wind direction that happened on the episode that you did uh, last week uh, between the hours of the murders and the discovery of the business card. Since 2006, wind data is only available for the airport in the valley and not for Pinion Pines. I don't believe we can draw any conclusions about wind direction for the days leading up to the crime through when the business card was discovered. Wind direction changes when traveling up and around hills or mountains, making the airport data unreliable. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, th- there's there's a point to be made there. All I can tell you is is the checks that I've done on that because yeah, the the weather station that Weather Underground uses for historical weather data is out of the Palm Springs Airport, which is down the hill. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I looked at was we have a place and time where the arson investigator measured the the wind at the crime scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I, off memory serves, it said like two miles an hour out of the northeast. And I checked that against the Palm Springs weather data. Mm-hmm. And it was it was like, I think at that time out of Palm Springs, it said it was like blowing out of the north of three. It was, it was, it was very consistent. And then while we were in town, I was checking the same thing. What was the wind direction and speed down in the valley and then up in the mountain. And they were, they were pretty consistent, but, but to be to be fair and 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 they're they're not wrong yeah there's there's certainly some ambiguity there because they're they're in different places i think as the crow flies it's probably i don't know what would you say jan maybe 10 15 miles if you went straight line from pinion pines down to palm springs yeah i think that's fair yeah, yeah. um but because you know there's a big hill going up there 
it could be different. There could be some some different shifts. I don't know. I I don't think that it would be that the winds were coming at the entire region out of the north, and somehow in Pinion they were blowing out of the south. I don't see that being because they cause yeah. remember they weren't big winds. These were just they were. It was a light breeze out of the north. Yeah, I mean, I I live in hills with a ton of hills and a mountain range in between me and the ocean to the west and when when the wind's coming in from the west it's coming in from the west but that's just my experience living in my specific area right. which does happen to be in hills with a lot of mountains in between yeah but um, i'm happy to concede there's yeah. some ambiguity there for sure, sure 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 i know this is going to shock you because i scared everyone but i actually do feel like that covers everything that really needs to be covered okay Real quick, let me scan through the YouTube chat. See, is there anything particular that anybody's saying before we wrap things up? Because we're already we're already long. So the only the only thing I see in there is is um, somebody in the YouTube chat is is saying, you know, why would there be only the business card that got blown from the from the wind out there and not other debris from the dumpster? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it didn't. I, I, yeah. I personally, I I, I kind of doubt it was found out there. But that's so that photograph, the photograph that we saw that also had the other tag in it. Cause that's what surprised me about that photo too, was I guess I didn't, in my mind, there was just a picture of uh, a business card with a little evidence flag. And so that part of what kind of convinced me that it was the area of, distur- area of disturbance was that there was that sort of second tag there and all that kind of stuff, which seemed like more than I expected if I were imagining potentially someone saying like, ooh, I better create a scenario in which this thing is here when maybe it wasn't. Yeah. I don't know. I guess you'd already, maybe you had. Yeah, well, once you hear, see his explanation for it, yeah. where he says that was like, like LeClaire never made nearly as big of a deal out of that hole as the people on Facebook are. Right, right, right. He just said it was a hole, could have been an animal. I don't know. Yeah. It was, there was no footprints around it. It was just looked like someone dug a hole and refilled it. Yeah. And, you know, so it could have been, he was, you know, out in a scenario where if, if the card were, were, Planted out there later, because mm-hmm. the person in the in the video was telling the truth, where they said they are the ones that found in the it news and it in the in. news thing. Yeah, the news thing. Um, then yeah, it could have been like he's moving out north of the thing, finds a hole there. It just ha- the hole happened to be there, so he, he tagged. I don't know. There, there's still so many. Like I said, the, you know, the the reason I said that there is, you know, we'll look at this through the lens of Leclerc found it. When he said he found it, where he said he found it, and Christian touched it at the end of the episode two weeks ago, was because that 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 scenario is still in play, right? You know, I've looked at the evidence and 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 I have my opinion of what everything looks like, but maybe that does happen, and that's why you know, in that 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 episode follows my thought process when I go through things like this. Like first, let's see if it was found when it was when they said it was found. Mm-hmm. Now let's see if it was really Christian on it. Regardless of my opinion of those two things, we still need to look at the scenario. What if it was exactly as it appears? What does that mean? So you know, so that that that's of course still a possibility. As far as why just the card would blow out there, I don't know. A million reasons it could be. It could be it was just sitting on top of the trash can. It's very light and small, and the way it was folded, it could have just it got caught in a current and and blown out there. Mm-hmm. It could be there was more stuff out there that they didn't search because they only searched looks like around. The tracks, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, they, I, I you know, I'd, I'd like to hope they looked along to, to try and wrap their brain around how there are no footprints going out to the point of origin, only coming back from, yeah, which is super interesting that they yeah. kind of miracled themselves out there. Um, that's such yeah. a huge problem. I, I, yeah, I, 
I don't I, I genuinely don't know how you get around that. I really, really don't know. And I don't understand how that wasn't a huge problem for the prosecution. I don't understand how in the trial that's not like a massive issue for the defense to jump on and and really drive home. So I'm very curious to see how that all plays out. Yeah. I mean, the prosecution did a good job of trying to present it and get ahead, getting ahead of things. And it was an issue. It, yeah. so keep in mind. So what did they say? They had we'll they, they had they had this DNA match with Christian on that card in 2007. Right. They arrested him seven years later. Then the charges, which were should tell you that they knew. Yeah. This is a problem, right? That that you know if they if they thought oh the evidence obviously shows that this card is came from the killer they would have arrested christian in 2007 thank you for revisiting that i think that's a really good way to sort of tie up the follow-up because that's a that's that's really big problem (laughs) yeah and then and then the then the first judge was just was just really pushing back hard against the prosecution for all these problems with the card right right And, and then so they dropped the charges but then you know the second time they've got the 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 informant that comes for, that that comes forward, which you know we're going to break all that all that down. That helped them. They got a stronger DNA match, and then lastly, they got a a confirmed fingerprint match of Christian on the card. So it kind of strengthened. You lose the could be transfer DNA argument if you have for sure Christian's two fingerprints on the card, right? Um, which is what they at least presented. At least that's what the you know the findings supposedly were. I. I be honest with you, I question the fingerprints a lot more than the than the DNA. Yeah, I think um, I think you're a bit clear about that. Yeah. So, yeah. As, as far as poor I, Suzanne, as you're like, so tell me if I'm right here. <laughs> you're like, you know <laughs> about aminos. She's like, kind of. Yeah, yeah. I don't really know. You're it's like, not I my probably field. shouldn't be bothering you with this. But that's why I like. I, I hope that people, anybody who's being objective sees in that scenario like that's why we bring on experts i don't bring on experts to confirm what i think i bring on experts to give us an expert opinion and then i and then i generally trust that opinion especially when it's something that involves science right you know you know jim and i sometimes come on and and we have kind of different viewpoints but we're talking about a behavior analysis there right um you know whereas like jim said you know even for him like it's you know there's two different scenarios here you can't really pinpoint which one you think is is happening but mm-hmm. but yeah that was you know the perfect example of the reason we bring on experts would be the the DNA in that card i thought something shady's going on here and then i brought an yeah. expert on she said no it makes sense I'm like, yeah. okay i trust you it makes sense yeah. then i appreciate that i respect that um emily did say did jim change his opinion on becky being the target i don't know if you want to ask that, if you want to respond to that or if you want to encourage people to continue to support the show by joining Patreon because it's well, we, we can do both. Good, I mean, you think gets good stuff done. I'll, I'll tell you this. We'll close with this, and we're, we're long, but it's the last one of the year. Everybody should have a nice holiday all weekend. The quaint- okay, go ahead. <laughs> um, when when we were walking around out there in the desert, we had um, a guy named Patrick who is Rob, was Robert's boss at mm-hmm. the HVAC place. Mm-hmm. And and Patrick, if you're listening, fine. I'm going to give you credit. I told him that I was going to lie and say that I did it. Of course, I never was. I was joking. Shout out to Patrick. Um, you're awesome. But he he ran this scenario by me while we were wandering around out in the snow in the desert. He said, I think that Becky was upstairs because of the fire. And, and let me back up. 
I was explaining that this crime scene is super complicated, right? It doesn't make it doesn't make sense unless you break it up into two parts. So if you just look at John and Vicky, the crime is actually very vanilla. It literally happens right. almost every day. These these crimes where people get shot in their houses, murdered in their houses, and then people light the house on fire to cover up the crime happens all the time. I've personally been to a handful of cases like this in the small town that I worked in. You know, it's not uncommon. For arson, there are three major reasons you see arson. It's either for money and fraud, for revenge, or to cover up a crime. Right. It's, it's, it happens all the time. So if you just look at John and Vicky, all of a sudden you see, okay, well, there's actually a pretty clear plan here that went okay, like for the killers. Like they went in, they murdered them, and they lit the house on fire, hoping they either wouldn't find the bodies or maybe they wouldn't notice. People don't know that they're going to x-ray them and find bullets and stuff like that. They just think everybody, every arson person, every arson that we've ever convicted on that I worked on, the people thought, well, the fire will cover all the evidence, not knowing that the fire creates its own evidence. So so the point is, this makes sense. What doesn't make sense is Becky, right? So, but if you're not, if you're not looking at Becky, you're only looking, it's like, okay, they came in, they killed them, they lit the house on fire. I can follow the train of logic the whole way and it makes sense. But then you've got Becky burning out in the wheelbarrow and that doesn't make sense. Right. We, we've all tr- struggled, whether you think Robert and Christian are guilty or innocent, we've all struggled to make sense of that. Right. Like the idea that they killed her out in the desert. But then they took a wheelbarrow all the way back there in the dark to get her, to bring her all the way back up and then light her on fire. It doesn't add up. And, and, and I was kind of talking through that. I was like, but I just can't figure out in my mind why Becky's not in the house. And then Patrick said, well, I think she was in the house when the fire started. And all of a sudden, like the light bulb went off. Certainly people will push back on this and some people won't agree with it. But the theory that I'm leaning towards right now, and there's more, again, I'm doing a new, I'm doing an arson investigation of this crime that mm. is even more so making this make sense. But the theory that I'm working on right now is Becky was upstairs in a room or in the bathroom when this, when the, when the perpetrators came into the house and attacked John and Vicky and she was hiding from them. Right. When they finished killing them and they lit the house on fire, they didn't know Becky was home. And she was hiding. But then at some point, the fire, remember, one of the set points was at the bottom of the stairs. Yeah. She couldn't get out of the house. We heard from her sisters they had an escape plan to go out the window yeah. out the back. So if the fire's burning and now, like, and she she's heard them leave and it's getting too hot, she can't get out, I think, and this was, again, from Patrick, that she probably went out the window and tried to escape out the window. Like was the plan, but the killers were still there. It doesn't even matter that, if she heard them leave or not. Like if if you're at a point you where get out of there. we know what happens when something is on fire, we have all seen the World Trade Center videos. Like people yes. do things when there's fire that are that that defy logic. So just crawling out of your window as your the escape plan you were taught is to me utterly realistic, whether or not she thinks they've left. Yeah, my opinion. yeah. So. The fire starting. It's it's obviously not enough. There's not like enough enough smoke to overcome her or anything. But there's a fire in the house, and she can't get down the stairs. So she gets out. Of the, she jumps out the window to escape, and they're still there. But by this point, 
there's, you know, 911 has been called. Lights are coming on around the neighborhood from all the people, the five people that called 911 and saw this happening. Perhaps even the fire truck's on its way now. And as, from being up there, you know, like you would have seen those coming a mi- you know, miles away, literally. So now they've got Becky. They get her. They kill her. And one thing I hadn't thought of before in that because I hadn't thought of this scenario was because I said it doesn't make sense that they didn't just put her back in the house because the fire wasn't so out of control. Because, you know, Tim Summerly says he Summerly says he looked through the garage and through the door and there's no fire there. But if they were in the backyard and Becky comes out the window and is in the backyard. The people in the if the, if the killers are in the backyard, they couldn't see through that door in the garage and know there was a place where they could have tossed her in the, in the house. Mm -hmm. And part of the investigation, if you look, look through the old crime scene photos, you'll see where I'm kind of going with this. But the first thing you do in a fire investigation is you start outside and work your way in. You can tell by looking at the house damage, where the fire started and where it was the most intense. And what you'll see is the West side of the house, the Northwest corner of the house has the most damage. Mm -hmm. That's where it. So, so the part they were seeing and and Tim said, I could only see – he couldn't even see the front of the house because of the pine trees. He only saw through that one door. And he remember he said he saw there was a light, but it wasn't flipped. I think it's because mm-hmm. the back of the house was in was ripping in flames. Yeah. I think there's a good possibility that John and Vicky were upstairs when the fire started, either moved up there or that's where they were killed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll get into all that but later. No sm- but no smoke in anyone's lungs. Well, we don't know about John and, and Vicky, but – Yeah. No, I think there wasn't in their lungs. Oh, but, there, but we know could, they, they were could. shot. Right. They were killed yeah, before yeah. the fire was right. started. Right. Uh, but but no smoke Becky, in Becky's lungs. Great point, Montana. Great point. Great question. Yeah. Well, and we'll have to go back to the autopsy because I think they said there maybe was some indication that there was some – she had breathed in some. But that makes sense. If you know, if there was so much smoke in her lungs that, that, that she died or she would have died with right. with the modern building construction. Yeah. I don't – yeah. that's. I guess that's what my question would be. And I'm so glad you brought this up, Montana, is just like how much smoke do you have to inhale before it shows up in your lungs in an autopsy? Because I don't know. Yeah, quite a bit. Because what you're looking for is not smoke. You're looking for signs of burning in the lungs and stuff uh, and carbon deposits in there. So if she was like in like opens a door, oh, there's a bunch of smoke and fire, closes the door and goes out. That makes perfect sense. But if she goes out and then they catch her, everybody's coming. The the house from that perspective in the backyard is is way too engulfed to do anything, to, to move, to put her back in. Then they kill her. They, I think there's a struggle. The fact that her hands are burned as bad as they are, I'm thinking they poured gasoline directly on her hands because they probably should probably clawed them. They put her in the wheelbarrow and they light her on fire and they get out of there. They they take off on foot because everyone's alerted to what's going on right now. But by that point, that is the only the first scenario I've come up with that makes the most sense to me as to why because I've never been able to understand why Becky's body wasn't in the house. Mm-hmm. At the event, when we had Jim come up and t- and talk through some of those things, is he he said as he's as he's kind of taken all this in that it looks to him as though you have you don't have a triple homicide, you have a double homicide, and a witness that was killed. Hmm. And and you know back at the beginning when we didn't know as much, he thought like he said is bifurcated. Maybe Vicky's the target. Maybe Becky's the target. She's definitely treated differently. That made sense to him. And as he thought it through on the spot, that's when he said, you're right. If Becky was killed first, then she would have been found inside the house. And I think that makes the most logical sense. 
There's some version of events that may, you know, there, there, there's certainly things that could be changed there that happened differently. I could be totally wrong. But right now, that's the theory that I'm leaning towards, that she was inside the house the whole time. And one of the things I was searching for was pictures of the damn phone line to see if it was cut. Yeah. You know, and that's not something you you can tell on the phone on the phone company side. Like they wouldn't know. They wouldn't be able to say there's a lack of activity and we can tell it's because the phone line was cut. Well, it got me thinking about it as people said, I think Javier said that they kept calling and kept getting a busy signal. Hmm. Um and I and I, I need to do a little more research on that, but I wonder if you know, cutting them that it, that's, that's shorting really out those wires. Yeah, I'd love to know more about that. Um because if it was, if if they just weren't answering the phone. Yeah. Then it would just ring and ring and ring and ring, but they were getting a busy signal, right? Um, so that's interesting. So all things that we're going to look at as we go forward, but uh, but as your final thing of the year after all these months of doing it, um, I think that's a plausible theory. Jim thought it was a plausible it's theory. Really interesting. And just to be clear, that's Patrick's theory, not yours. Right, the Patrick's hey. theory. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Shout out to Patrick. Patrick's theory. Yeah, but it, but you know it it it. No, when he said that on it, the scene, I got chills. I think Shiloh said she got chills. I think we were all like, oh, sh- oh shit. Pardon my For friend. the first time, the scene all made sense for the yeah. first time. And then Jim was able to do what Jim does and break through and go like, ah, you're right. I, you know, I wasn't able to articulate it that well, but it was just like there was a clear murder, then burn the house down plan. Mm. Becky doesn't fit with that plan. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't she be back in the house? That little nugget that came from Patrick all of a sudden brings the thing brings everything together. Yeah. And it makes sense. It's and really interesting. It is now it doesn't mean that's what happened, but it is supported by the evidence and the fact that there's no there, there's no substantial DNA on the wheelbarrow handles looking like someone pushed the wheelbarrow, but there's DNA on Becky's body adds up. Right. I, I that's really interesting. It's a theory. We'll see how it develops. We'll see how it gets proven or disproven or neither, but um it's a lot to chew on and this has been such a great follow up. Again, I do blame our listeners for having amazing questions and uh, making this so long. It's your fault. You guys are amazing. Yeah. I'll take some blame for rambling. I mean, there was a solid 40 minutes of me just talking without. I think Kelly will cut that out. <laughs> Kelly's just going to cut just that cut out. Snip, snip. Yep. Yeah. And with that, uh, Janet, as we wrap up the year, uh, I think Janet, uh, Jack and I, Jack over here. <laughs> Jack and Janet. <laughs> Jack Together Zana. at last. Uh, Zach and I both share the sentiment that uh, it's been a, it's been a wonderful year. You've been you've been amazing, and we appreciate you so much for for taking over for Mike when he left. Don't put words in my mouth. Okay, tell her something <laughs> mean. Janet, we love you. Yeah, I love, we love you, you guys. guys. Yeah, and and we love all of you listeners. And thank you guys for hanging out through this. Hope you all have a a great holiday weekend for those of you that celebrate holidays, or just a great weekend if you don't. Everybody, stay uh, safe if you're traveling. Be safe. I say that because of the weather. As much yeah. as She's an improviser, that. professional improviser. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Happy holidays, everyone. And we'll be back on January 1st. Happy holidays, everybody. Bye, guys. Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Edited by Kelly Barron's Brink, and all music for the show was created by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by me, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com. 
where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Kay Woodyomnik, Ginger Viola, Erica Cantor, Danielle Rohr, Jennifer Ford, Courtney Wimberly, and Melissa Cardenas. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in several ways. To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. And for all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at truthjusticepod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found in all forms at Bob Ruff Truth. Janet can be found at Janet Varney, and Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. As for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice. Thank you.